Hey, welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. Indeed, I am your host, Finn Melanson. In this episode, we talk with Adam Mary. Adam is a professional trail runner for Saucony based in Golden, Colorado. We talk about his recent performance at the Bandera 100K, increasing representation in our sport, all the usual questions I have about the state of our sport because Adam is also a huge fan and so tuned in and way more. And while I mention it in the episode, I want to reiterate it here because I think it's so important and something we could all be better at. One of the aspects of Adam I admire so much is how mission-oriented he is, not just on a performance level, but in all areas of life. I think that's really going to resonate in this conversation. So let's waste no more time. Let's get started. Welcome to the show, Adam Mary. Adam Mary, welcome to the Single Track Podcast. What's up, Finn? Thanks a lot for uh, for having me here. I'm really stoked we're, we're uh, having a conversation. I got to give a quick shout out to a mutual friend and friend of the podcast, Logan Williams, for introducing us, or at least yes. he introduced me to you. And um, he's one of my favorite people in the sport. And anybody that's friends with Logan, I'm immediately fascinated by. So here we are. Uh, such a good dude. And uh, yeah, very fascinating. Really, uh, a really a very worldly guy. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, lucky to know him for sure truly a renaissance man well let, let's dive in maybe we can just start by by talking about bandera because you and i met about a month ago just to like prep for this episode and to think about things that would be interesting to cover and i think in our our world right now bandera is the hot topic and maybe we can start by just saying what attracted you to the race and yeah like why'd you choose it oh man yeah great place to start so um i like everyone who's interested in the sport of trail running, you know, I've known about golden ticket races for a very long time. Um, you know, seen all the documentaries like four or five years ago when they started coming out and, um, yeah, you know, honestly, like black Canyon, uh, was the first like golden ticket races I signed up for like, uh, several years ago, but, um, I actually ran Bandera for the first time last year. Um, so it's 2020. Um, but had a kind of a back issue going in, like I had strained my back. So only got through one loop, um, and decided to end there. And, um, it's kind of funny, you know, like, uh, this year ended up being a, a, a different, uh, different result, but, um, yeah, I was drawn to it this year because of, uh, kind of the timing in the season for me, um, with the, where my kind of summer racing last year was, um, we had a really great training block kind of setting up for Bandera this year. And, um, having been on the course last year, I was kind of familiar with it and, um, yeah, I thought it would suit my strengths well, which I think it does in general, but, um, yeah, that's kind of what drew me there was just my previous experience. And then, um, yeah, it being a, a rate, one of the golden ticket races that has a really high level of competition, which, um, you know, races in North America, um, there's only certain ones that attract that kind of a field. So it's always fun to mix it up. And maybe also talk about your training because from an outside perspective, from a fan perspective, all I saw was this awesome steady build on Strava and you had yeah. a great race at run the rock in the lead up, yep. which is another cool race here in the West. So maybe just give a glimpse into, uh, like how you were thinking about training to be ready for race day. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it really was a, a pretty great build to be honest. Um, I, uh, after OCC, which I raced last, uh, August, I, um, kind of took a little time off, but then, um, jump right back into training, um, ran Sageburner 50 K then, uh, run the rock 50 miler in November and, um, training kind of through Sageburner and, um, peak, uh, kind of peaking for run the rock. Like my coach and I have been experimenting with tapers that work for me. And so really feel like we got the taper right for run the rock. And, um, ended up feeling super smooth all day. And like, it was, uh, a really great effort. Not, you know, not like I really went to the well or anything. It was just like a great run and, um, came away with a great result. And so that was a big confidence boost, like going into the final, um, I guess month and a half before, um, run the, or, uh, before Bandera and man, like my training, um, in December was like perfect. Like, hit every run, like didn't miss a day, like, uh, nailed every workout. Um, and it's kind of funny because, um, maybe as a kind of transition to how Bandera went, like sometimes it's funny, like with the sport and in life in general, like sometimes you, 
you do everything right, you know, and you take every precaution and take yeah. every preparation, man. Like I bought like eight gallons of El Dorado Springs water and brought that shit down to Bandera to try to make <laughs> sure I'd be good to go. And, uh, you know, like regardless of all your preparation and how good your training has been and how um, consistent your previous results have been, like I had great nine great races last year. Um, yeah, but I had like a, a, a pretty tough day at Bandera. Um, and, uh, and yeah, despite all my preparation and lead up, um, it just didn't come together on that day. And, you know, when you talk about elite performance at, at this level, um, in this, in this sport, which is like an eight hour event, you know, like, um, everything kind of has to be perfect. Like you can't have something off at all, or you're not going to be able to perform, um, at the level that you need to, to, to be competing for a golden ticket. I think one of the elements of our sport that makes me attracted to it so much is even at the elite level of the sport where you participate, performances are so unpredictable. Like you said, you could have this masterful build up, this masterful training block, and there's things that could be outside your control or even making just like the slightest mistake at like mile 10 or 30 of the race could unwind things. And I don't feel like we see that as much in other sports like basketball or football or baseball, where there is this like at least baseline level of predictability in performances. So I just wanted to add that in because yeah, you had a great training lead up and I have no doubt that, you know, later on this year, there, you're going to turn in some awesome performances, but just wanted to say that and maybe just give us some insight into like how the race went, because it sounded like it was going pretty smooth for a while. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. And um, yeah, you know, it, it really was. And um, I don't think I mentioned this earlier, but I was actually there, um, in early December for four days, I did 75 miles on the course. So that's cool. Yeah. I knew that thing like in and out and I, um, did three, you know, like four big runs right in a row on it. Um, and so I knew what it'd feel like to run like 25 miles on tired legs on my fourth day there. <laughs> like I knew what that was going to feel like and what the sections were like. And so, um, yeah, like I, wasn't really intending on like being in the front like that, but, um, it's kind of just how the race shook out in the first few miles. And, um, yeah, like felt really smooth. Um, was just focused on, you know, it's dark and foggy in the morning. So just trying to like not fall and break my ankle or something. And, um, right. yeah, everything was going really well. Fuel was going down great. Um, my crew was nailing everything. They were rock stars all day. Um, and yeah, just kind of clicking into a groove and, um, you know, it's really funny, like in, on the day, like I kind of felt like, Oh yeah, like it's, it's going well. Like I'm not pushing, like I can hear guys behind me, like, you know, in the distance. So this is like validation that I'm pacing this correctly, you know, like I'm not flying way off the front. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, honestly, like the first little sign that like something was wrong, like at a deeper level for me, like physiologically, it was like, when I hit the prairie section at like mile, uh, I think it's like 24 or something. Like I've, I ran that section before and I ran it on tired legs in the rain. So I knew like kind of the rough splits I should be able to just ease into, which for me was like about 630 pace. Like mm. I felt fine. Mm. And uh, when I was there in December and man, I, I couldn't even hit like 650 pace. And so that was kind of at first just like, huh, like I wonder why that's happening. Um, and so I just continued on and, um, yeah, like, I guess that was kind of mentally where, uh, the first little like sign of like, man, something's not right. Like I didn't have any cramps and the food was sitting just fine, but, um, and hydration had been going well, but, um, yeah, when I picked up my pacer, Drew Holman at 50 K, like, you know, we got to work and had a really strong, like 10 or 12 miles or so. And, um, got rolled up by John Rea, like, I don't know, like eight miles into that second loop or something. And he was looking great. Yeah. Um, but I was still feeling fine. And, you know, like to, to make a long story a little bit shorter, um, basically where th this is the kind of head scratcher for me. And I've, you know, won't, you know, won't go into too much like unnecessary detail, but just like, basically I went from like being able to run like decent, you know, like everyone hits a low patch from like, you know, 40 to 45 on that course. Like it's right. fucking rough. Right. But, uh, I was at 42 running like eight minute pace and then I like couldn't run at all anymore. Yeah. And, and there was no like, um, cramping or kind of like degradation. It was just like, man, like, I don't know what's going on here. So, um, yeah, my day kind of like end ended like that. Like my pacer, uh, drew is like 
kept trying everything like, okay, like run 10 steps, like, you know, but it just wasn't working. And I ended up like basically walking for like eight more miles to chop us before I decided to drop it 50. But um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how it went. Like it was going fine until like literally just like couldn't run anymore. And we were just talking offline. I know you've been pretty sick the last four or five days post race, but have there been any lucid moments where you've had a chance to just like think about the race process, the training block, and are there any things you are going to do uh, differently in the next one, or, or are you just going to like reinvest what you just did into the next training block? Yeah. So I guess like, <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely in the last couple of days have had more of a chance to reflect on how the race went. Um, you know, now that I'm recovered and stuff, but, um, yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, at the end of the day, like I've talked to my coach about this too, like, um, I, I definitely feel, um, confident based on like reflecting back on my data on the race and how it felt, you know, subjectively, mm. um, that I raced, uh, I was racing well and, um, like not outside of myself. And so, um, I don't regret racing in that style because at the end of the day, like John and Tyler had great days. And when you're racing for a golden ticket, like you can't back it in for like fifth or sixth, like, you know, it takes a great day. And so you have to put it out there. And like I said, they really are like at this level, like if anything's wrong, like if I had a stomach bug or like if I had food poisoning or whatever, like I could probably run like for sixth place, really conservative and it'd probably be okay. But when you're like out there putting it all out there, um, that's when things go wrong. And so I don't regret racing that way. And I know my training for it was perfect. And so, you know, my wife, Julianne, who's like the most amazing supporter uh, I could ask for in in general, helped me reframe my mindset around it after the race. It's like, you know, I was kind of like, man, I put so much into this race. And she was like, no, you put so much into your fitness. And that's transferable, you know, and that's like going to carry forward and build into the future results this year. And so, yeah, that's kind of like where I'm at, uh, you know, certainly not changing anything and um, yeah, just keep, keep building, you know, where we left off. And uh, you know, the good news is like musculoskeletally, like I feel great. Um, and I wasn't really even sore after the race. So um, yeah, that was a blessing, I guess. So we just had Marianne Hogan on the podcast and she oh. also was at Bandera. What a beast, right? She's just so she, strong. She ran past me when I was like walking it into Chappas and she looked unreal like yeah. she was flying yeah she's amazing too because she just submitted a really big performance at uh ultra trail cape town so it's just it's just amazing what she can do but the reason i bring her up is she had mentioned in the pod that she was going to just basically dedicate her entire uh late winter early spring to the golden ticket series where if she didn't get it at bandera she'd go to black canyon mm-hmm. if not there canyons etc is that something that you see yourself doing like is western states still like the big goal and you're just going to fight for that ticket however it comes to you dude i'm happy you asked this question because you know (laughs) i think if you would have asked me before the race i would have had different answer than i have now um and i'm really i'm really stoked on where i'm at mentally now um you know i like without a doubt for sure for me like running Western States and like trying to achieve excellence at that race is still like my number one goal as a runner period. Um, and at the same time, uh, and I can't take full credit for this reflection. Like my friend, Matt actually helped me kind of get there. Matt Daniels. Oh yeah. Shout out Matt. Shout out Matt. You know, what a great guy, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit wary of getting into this, um, like, just running the golden ticket circuit like over and over each year, just like with this goal of trying to get a ticket and like so much validation for me coming from the result or not. And just like being stuck in that loop and like, well, what if, you know, you put in a great training block and like something goes wrong at canyons, like, you know, it just puts a lot of uh, pressure, right. Like on those races. And um, so actually like, my kind of, um, reframe mentally has been, uh, you know, I, while being, while having that be my North star, like Western and like excellence at that race, like, I know that like, if I continue to like center joy in my running process and strategy and like, make sure I'm signing up for races that I'm truly excited about, like, I want to go to the place I'm stoked on the event. 
whatever, like then good results will follow and good fitness will follow. And my stoke and energy will be high and I'm not going to be like burning out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, to be honest with you, like canyons this year's a little bit like up in the air, but, um, certainly like I know whenever I show up at another golden ticket race, like I think the best recipe for me is like not, um, not putting undue like pressure on myself and just, uh, yeah, like letting it kind of happen organically. And, you know, everyone talks about this, but like being invested in the long term and like, you know, I know I, I really believe that in the next like year or two or three, like I'm going to get that ticket. I'm going to run Western States. And so in the meantime, just kind of planning on other races that are really exciting to me and then kind of showing up for a golden ticket when my fitness is good, um, I think will be a good recipe for me. So what's the next race going to be? Well, so way too cool is what's like next on my schedule right now. But um, yeah, I think in terms of things I can plan for currently, like the big like a race for this year for me um, that I'm really excited about is CCC. So I've signed up for that. And yeah, I'm like, I'm going to go over to Europe for like a month for the race. And so uh, yeah, I'm just super excited into what I was saying earlier. Like, you know, uh, my wife didn't get to come with me last year. So she's going to come over as well. And just, you know, like make a vacation out of it and just like, do super big days, you know, it's going to be really fun. Very cool. And so I got to get this off my chest because I think it would be such a cool content idea as a fanboy of the sport. I know you are too. Okay. It okay. would be so cool to get like 20 or 30 athletes from like three different brands to commit ahead of time to just like a golden ticket or bust push from like January to April. Mm. And you just see the attrition over the course of like three months versus like, you know, a couple of them getting it. And you just like see at the end of three months, who's got it, who doesn't. There's like a whole documentary made about it. I think that would be so cool. That would be so cool. But man, you know, like I think most eggs would kind of break, you know, like when you talk about throwing eggs at a wall, like <laughs> I, I got to say, man, like honestly, like it is what Emily Hoggett did last year is like straight up legendary. Legend, to, legend. To, to have those consistent performances at each golden ticket race, get it at Canyons, top 10 at Western and UTMB is like, nuts you know so like huge kudos to her i don't think many people could do that tip of the cap yeah no there would be a lot of uh there'd be a lot of carnage but the spectator and me would just love it oh yeah for sure <laughs> it'd be like the solomon golden trail series equivalent or something i don't know yeah well maybe hoko will make that happen who knows you know maybe, yeah maybe maybe well yeah as i said i think we both are fanboys of the sport and i mean that in positive terms so let's transition a bit because i'd love to get your thoughts on a lot of questions that I ask most guests. The first being awesome. what's exciting you most about the sport right now? Oh man, there's, um, I think there's a ton to be excited about, um, in the sport, like increased interest, awareness, participation, um, coverage, like broadcasting is amazing. Even little things like man, race photography, like what they did at Bandera, this, you know, this event was like sick, like let's wander shout out to Jesse Ellis. Like his company's killing it. He's hired all these people. He's got multiple like photographers on course. They're doing like pre-race, like beautiful black background shots. Like, yeah, just like, I mean, I think all of these little pieces kind of like, um, fit together to like make the sport of trail running much less of like a patchwork, you know, kind of like threadbare quilt into this like really beautiful, um, well put together thing, you know? And so, um, that's really exciting that, you know, to be honest with you, I think like the amount of brand, um, in commitment and investment into the, the specific trail running segment is exciting. Um, you know, I, Saucony is my sponsor and, um, what they're doing, uh, not just with their product, like, you know, shoes and apparel is, is really great. And their run for good campaign and all of that. But like, you know, even just to give a little credit to Hoka, I mean, they're like, full on, uh, investing in the sport. And it's just really exciting to see that kind of, uh, I guess like, uh, inertia, like amongst brands, like kind of Adidas really showing up last year at UTMB. And then it's like, well, Hoka scooping up the whole series. And then it's like, you know, I, I hope that that continues to snowball and create more opportunities for not only pros, but for, um, athletes of all different types and backgrounds and ability levels to, participate more and, and hopefully experience races, whether they're abroad um, or in their own backyard that are new to them and can, you know, serve as these really meaningful adventures. I was speaking offline earlier today with this group called the run show. 
USA. They're like the largest mm-hmm. trade show organization for running in general, I think, like globally. Okay. And anyways, the reason I bring them up is because they told me that for the first time in the 10 years they've been doing this, something like that, this was the first year that their audience demanded more content around trail and ultra running than oh, hell yeah. running. So hell yeah. that to me is really cool. And that's anecdotal because I'm not exactly sure where the data is, but it's just interesting that like they're taking notice. They're like, oh man, trail running, ultra running, like that's where the attention is going. Yeah. Well, you know, just one more thing we were mentioning offline, um, Starlink, you know, uh, for more connectivity like that, I hope will be kind of revolutionary and game-changing as well. Like, you know, Bandera, for example, it's like, there's no service out there. And right. so it's, uh, I think the more um, kind of like wireless infrastructure that we can have at these races, like, and broadcast these important races that are going on, like, you know, all the, all the golden ticket races having coverage. Um, I think that's going to be really good for the sport and allow people um, of all types to like access it and kind of like, you know, watch. Cause that's kind of the first step to like thinking, man, that's pretty cool. Like maybe I, maybe I want to try something like that one day. That's a great point. I think one of the things that's holding us back in the American West is like you said, like the lack of internet connection yeah. in some of these remote places like CCC, UTMB, all those races in Europe, they have the advantage of those courses being so firmly embedded with the rest of society that like you can get internet connection and stuff. So anyways, that's cool. How about, um, what do you want to see changed in the sport? Cause obviously as we're growing, there's things that we like, but there's also things that we want to fix. So I'm curious to get your thoughts there too. Yeah. Well, um, I think there's a lot great about the sport and great with the sport and a lot of things that we, um, do right, you know? And so that's, um, that's really encouraging and we have a really strong foundation from which to build. Um, I think one thing that like, has been a really good first step like within the trail running community is that a lot of our major media publications are um, really putting an emphasis and are committed to um, talking about issues that matter, like intercultural issues, social issues, mm-hmm. um, those kinds of things, because, you know, trail running is something that brings us all closer together at the end of the day. And so to use that connectedness to like talk about issues that transcend the sport, I think are really um is a really good use of that connection. And so, um, yeah, like I would love to continue to see that. Um, and I'm, you know, tip of the hat to like trail runner mag, like uh, ultra running mag, these, these, uh, media outlets that are like really putting their money where their mouth is and, you know, talking about these things. But, um, yeah, like I, uh, I'm a big proponent of trying to increase, um, more diverse participation. And I mean that not just like racial diversity, which, you know, really would benefit the sport. Um, but, um, you know, like of all types, uh, mothers, um, athletes of different, um, different backgrounds. Like I think, uh, the more, um, the more people that we can allow to like access trails, uh, I think the better it's going to make our world. That's kind of like what, you know, Debo's whole thing is whatever trail running is changing the world or something. Save the world, baby. Save the world. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'd love to see, um, continued effort in that and you know seeing companies like RIDC or organizations like RIDC um really partner with some of these race organizations or uh, at least provide resources or um consulting support for race orgs that want to try to create more equitable races or want to offer things like scholarships to make sure that they're doing it um in a way that really like um meets those athletes where they are um, and provides them with services that will set them up for success. Cause I think sometimes there's like, you know, a lack of understanding about Mm. where these athletes are coming from or that like, Hey, they don't have access to trails or they don't have internet or they don't have access to like, um, you know, whole foods where you can get all these like amazing groceries, you know? So like just, um, meeting people where they are, I think would uh, go a long way and company or orgs like RIDC, I think are well positioned to do that. Hell yeah. Well, I want to make one comment before I ask this question. And like my background is in politics and it's in marketing. So when I think of like the tactics for creating change, it's like literally like getting on the ground, going and knocking on doors, having one-on-one conversations from a marketing standpoint, it's like running like targeted Facebook ads and Instagram ads at people to raise awareness. 
are those kind of tactics when it comes to increasing representation in our sport? Is that the right way to think about it? Or is that too aggressive? And when you think about like the actionable steps we can take to affect change, what does some of your playbook look like? Mm. That's a great, uh, great question. Like I, uh, you know, I, I think I'm kind of like you in, in a sense, like I believe in that kind of grassroots approach as well. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, there's definitely a place for that. Like I, um, I'm a huge believer and I've seen like the impact that I have had on others, like on a relatively small scale, but like, you know, whenever I do podcasts or, um, make posts that talk about that are a little more vulnerable and talk about my experience as a BIPOC athlete, like mm. every time I have all these, um, BIPOC athletes or multiracial athletes, like DM me and be like, Hey, like, I just wanted to let you know that that was like really meaningful or like spoke to my experience. I've been there too. Like that really meant a lot to, to hear that, you know, you experienced that too. And yeah. so I think like those, um, efforts, right. Like just doing a podcast or, you know, like, uh, diverse folks, like showing up to races and talking to each other yeah. can really make a big impact. Um, and so those impacts can't be understated, but you know, I, I, I got to admit, I did listen to the podcast you did with Zoe Rome and her, uh, everyone should go back and listen to that because it was she's fire. amazing. It was oh. fire, but a lot of the systemic changes that she talked about, not unfortunately, but like realistically, I think are more, um, in line with probably like what need to happen to like really make sweeping changes because yeah. there's like systemic, um, accessibility challenges. There's like policy Mm. um, changes that could really make a big difference. And so, um, I think having kind of a multi-pronged approach, um, at those different levels, I think is probably like the best uh, way forward, perhaps. It's a huge shout out to Zoe. And it's funny. Like, I think I asked her a similar question. It was maybe a little bit different, but she basically said, I could tell you X, Y, Z, but basically just go vote. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. And it's, you know, it really does matter and make a, make a difference. And so, yeah, the making, you know, the more we all do that, like the, you know, the better things will be. Yeah. Well, one of the thing, switching gears just a little bit, and I do want to come back to this conversation thread, but yeah, yeah. Um, I'm curious, what is something, given that you've been in the sport for quite a bit now, at least a couple of years, what is something that you used to believe in the ultra running world that you have since changed your mind on and why? Um, wow. Um, well, that I used to believe, well, I think it, it kind of, uh, maybe has, um, been impacted not only by the fact that, you know, I am coached and I've learned a lot more about kind of the science of, uh, training and different training methodologies and stuff. Um, but I'm a coach myself as well. And so, uh, I think what I used to believe like many ultra runners is that like more is better, you know? And, um, mm. I think one of the biggest, like, <laughs> unlocks that I've had for my own training, um, in the last like year is that, you know, the amount of commitment and effort and attention that I put into my running, I also put that into my recovery mm. and my nutrition. And so, and my, um, I guess, uh, my energetic kind of, uh, boundaries, you know, like I'd make sure to try to maintain my energy well and not be too depleted. So, um, I think like, you know, when you really zoom out and like look at truly being committed to a long-term approach, like three to five year type of horizons, um, yeah. overdoing it is almost never worth it. You know, like selling out in training to the point where you're like really on the edge and like risking injury is like almost never worth it. And it's better to continue to be able to roll training blocks one into another. And I think before I was coached and when I was a little bit younger in the sport, mm. um, I just write things down on paper and be like, all right, let's see if I can go string together 300 mile weeks and then like do a really fast 50 K at the end, you know? And like, luckily it didn't break me, but like, I think, um, really just instead shifting that kind of energy to want to do more toward recovery. And it's like, cool, do more there. Like make your recovery better, like eat better, yeah. you know, like understand your own blood better so that you can optimize that too. Like, I think, um, that's been a big shift for me in the last year or so. Maybe uh, going back to your schedule for this year, 2022, maybe a younger you would have, uh, after this Bandera experience, would have just signed up for Black Canyon. Oh, right for sure. For sure. Gone, gone down that that rabbit hole too. Definitely. man. Well, I did that like uh, 
two or three years ago, I did Black Canyon. And then uh, I think like three weeks later did Pioneer Spirit, <laughs> you know, so a 50 miler USATF championship. So, yeah. So you mentioned that you're also a coach in the sport. And I'm curious when it comes to like continuing education and being becoming a better coach in addition to an athlete, where are you spending most of your time learning? Because when I think about the world of coaching, it's obviously an evolving profession in our sport. It didn't really even exist 10 years ago. So I'm just curious to know where folks like yourself who make it, who make a living out of it, go to get their education. Yeah. Great question. So, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny, uh, Finn, because I, really believe that we're living in a, a renaissance, you know, of information. And it really is the case that it's like, literally, you can get it all day if you want, like you have it in your ears on podcasts, you can be like looking at it on your computer, you can be reading a book before you go to bed. And so I kind of do avail myself of like all those different mediums, like, man, I'm not gonna lie, like yesterday, I was like listening to your golden ticket talk with uh, Tyler and you know, hearing about where he's getting information, just like little things like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I listened to a ton of ultra running related and um, training related podcasts on, yeah. uh, you know, on my phone um, during the day. And uh, so that's a source, um, you know, honestly, like the amount of freely available information on the internet about um, running fundamentals, I think, is vast. And, yeah. uh, you, you know, it is, um, behind a paywall now, but I think it's well worth it to subscribe to outside plus, um, to access David Roach's archives of trail runner mag articles. That guy has given the freaking house away for free, dude. Like it's all there. <laughs> and, uh, the amount of kind of, um, to be honest with you, like the due diligence he does on all of those articles and like sourcing that, uh, from studies that are done, is really awesome. I read all of those articles that he writes and study them. And um, yeah, like that's a, there's a wealth of information there. Um, and then to be honest with uh, in my own coaching practice, when I'm seeing things crop up with athletes or trying different interventions, um, sometimes I do just use PubMed and search um, that database as well for mm. more like raw data uh, studies and stuff. But um, yeah, gosh, like there's a, so many great books. Um, I guess another one is um, mental training for ultra running, like Addie Bracey's books, like so great. Um, yeah. And, and even little things that aren't strictly speaking related to trail running, like Brad Hudson's little back book, black book is like a treasure trove of like, so good. Yeah. Workouts. Like I have athletes that train for the roads as well. And so just to, you know, I think to be able to like spice things up and just, you know, help my own, help my own creative juices get flowing with different fart, like workouts and stuff like that are, um, yeah, they're all resources that I draw from. I'm, I'm glad I asked because it sounds like you are a true student of the sport. Going back on David Roach, he he's awesome. And there was yes. a podcast that I used to listen to. I think it's defunct now, but Science of Ultra. Oh, and Sean Bearden. Sean Bearden. Best yeah. podcast ever, dude. It's great. <laughs> it's a little dry. Like the entertainment value is not crazy high, but the knowledge there is so awesome. And they used to do this uh, series where I think David would come on. I think it was like Coach's Ian Charman, Coach's Corner. Yeah. So, and they would like debate a particular, you know, topic in, in coaching and maybe yeah. we'll link to one of them in the show notes. It was excellent. Yeah. Chrissy Mayo was on there too. It was a great podcast. Yeah. Very cool. Do you do this full time? Are you coaching full time? And then also you have your contract with Saucony. So that's right. Yeah. So I, um, it was last year that I, um, jumped in full time. I had been coaching part time before that. And I was working at, um, a nonprofit, um, conservation organization before that for many years, but, um, yeah, only last year that I fully kind of, uh, jumped in with both feet and, and, uh, went full-time with it. That's really cool. And again, another theme of this show is just the fascination with people that have made this sport, their full-time thing, whether it's as a coach, a race director, athlete, can yeah. you talk about how you've organized your life to make that happen? Yeah. Um, well, I, um, I guess there's like maybe two answers. There's like the kind of brass tacks of how it has worked, but I think um, maybe more um, importantly is like, um, you know, I, I grew up and this is a quick aside, but I grew up in Monterey, California, which is yeah. where um, the Monterey Bay Aquarium is, which is where I worked for seven years until I quit that and started coaching full time. But that is to say that I was, um, you know, my family is there. Like I was kind of like locked in there to this really good job. And, um, it was pretty hard to like, think about not only moving to Colorado, but like ever 
you know, quitting that to like be a full-time running coach, you know, it's like such a less stable, like I've never owned a small business. Like there's so much unknown there. And yeah. um, yeah, you know, I'm super lucky that I have such a supportive wife and partner, like that really encouraged me to um, follow like my dreams. And she was supportive in us doing that. Um, she's following hers as well, uh, studying to be a therapist, but um, yeah, you know, at this point in our lives, like I'm 31 now, I just turned 31 and um, yeah, there's no time like the present, you know, like uh, I kind of just jumped in with both feet and, and uh, decided that, you know, I was, I was comfortable with um, making some lifestyle sacrifices to um, try to make the coaching thing work and see if it, I could make it a viable thing long-term. And, um, you know, kind of like with running, um, when you fully give of yourself and commit, um, good things happen, you know, and they might not happen immediately, but they will happen. Um, if you do that long-term and make sure to, to not, uh, burn yourself out while doing it. And so, yeah, that kind of to answer the other brass tacks part of the question, like I've definitely learned a lot in the last year of how best to structure my day so that I don't feel behind. Uh, cause when you're a small business owner, um, there's a lot of things you have to do that don't directly benefit the athlete, but you have to do. And so, um, yeah, like I, I work in the morning for like a couple hours every day. And then like that way, when I'm working in the afternoon, I feel like I've already kind of like caught up on what needs to get caught up on in the morning. Then I can go do my run and, and recovery and all that. And then, uh, get back to coaching in the afternoon and slow stress. Well, another question I wanted to ask on this front, because it seems like there are a fair number of people in the sport who could go all in if they wanted to, but there's this like weird hesitancy where they're like, Oh, if all I did was running stuff, I would like crash and burn. Do you see the way you've organized your life as an advantage? And are you like mentally prepared to only think about running from like a performance career and even like entertainment standpoint? Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good question, man. I think the answer is, um, it depends, you know, it's different for everyone. And so I think there's athletes that totally thrive off having, um, you know, like some other pseudo full-time or full-time job to kind of occupy their mind, yeah. um, or their time. And maybe they're genuinely just passionate about that thing. Like, you know, one of the goats, like Francois Dane, like is a perfect example, you know, makes wine runs around winery in Beaujolais, you know what I mean? So it's like, that's, and, 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 you know, winning UTMB and all these other amazing races at the top of the sport. Um, and there's other folks like Drew Holman who are crushing it in the American scene, you know, third at Western that also have a full-time job. Um, but I know like for me, um, personally, like I kind of have, uh, always dreamed of having the opportunity to be fully immersed in sport and, um, not just be a professional runner, but like be, immersed in the sport. And so for me, like, all I know is this is how I want to do it. And it feels, um, I feel really very grateful to be able to, like we talked about earlier, be so immersed in all of the different media and literature surrounding the sport, because it, you know, as my wife would attest to, like, I talk about it a lot. And, uh, so, and I think about it a lot. And, um, for me, it's kind of a never ending, wellspring of excitement. And so, um, I love being all in on it. And I think I thrive most when I'm all in on things. I listened to your recent conversation with Scotty Sandow on oh, yeah. ultra runner mag podcast, which was awesome. And I oh, think thanks. he asks you like, Oh, you know, what do you do outside of running? You're like, I think I just consume running content, which yep. I, I just loved that answer because yeah. that's me too. And yeah, so I'm man. curious who are your like favorite people to follow and what are your favorite types of content to consume? And yeah. Uh, well, um, certainly dude, like no joke, man, like your podcast is freaking awesome. Like what you are bringing to this podcasting space is exactly what I'm looking for. Like topical coverage, like, um, really in-depth, interesting conversations with, um, specifically like professionals in the sport is really cool in a uh, spot that wasn't really getting enough attention. I don't think right now. Um, but I mean, you know, it's kind of evolved cause like people come and go, right. Like, um, but yeah, I think like, uh, I guess on the, I mean, the free trail podcast network is sick. Like trail running society is awesome as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess from a documentary standpoint, like what, uh, Solomon just did with the golden trail, um, series 
was so good. Like, I think it was like a five part series or something, super yeah. high production value. Yeah. Amazing. Um, I, uh, I, again, I think the volume of, um, articles that David Roach is writing for trail runner is just unreal. So like, seriously, it's worth the outside plus subscription to access them. He's putting them out like every week. That guy's a machine. He, yeah. And to think that he's also a coach and an extremely elite athlete, and like, you know, does all this research and articles and has his own podcast, which is again, another place uh, where I get great content. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah. The Some Work All Play podcast. There's just, there's so much, um, there's so much to enjoy. So yeah, I don't know. Like those are just a few. Is there anything that's still missing that you're like, oh, like we need this type of, uh, of story in the world or this type of content out there in the world. Like we just don't have the resources yet for some reason or yeah. 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 I think, it, I think it really is. Um, and maybe someone's making a play at this. I don't know, but like um, whether it's like a YouTube channel or some kind of like syndicated like network where uh, you can go to like see race coverage would be really cool. Cause like right now it's like mostly streamed on YouTube across like different people's channels, but it's like, kind of hard to go back and watch um and oftentimes there isn't like kind of a highlight reel put together after the fact and so i think something like kind of like an espn would be very cool for um for trail running broadcasts as yeah. those start to kind of come online yeah that's yeah. oh man we, you know we might even dedicate an episode to that yeah that would, we could fill an hour just making parallel comparisons between like what a episode of sports center looks like oh you gotta get what, the, like you gotta get debo on here man he's the guy <laughs> oh yeah i know for sure for sure hey i want to come back to the representation thread i think that we all see the sport through different lenses um not just on racial grounds but also just like our work experiences and where we grew up and, and stuff like that so I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm very fascinated by diversity of approach as much mm. as I am just by representation in general. And I'm curious what outside influences you've brought into the sport to make your own little creative area. Um, can you say maybe like more about what you mean? Like what I've brought into um, like how my approach to the sport is maybe different than others. Well, for example, I talked earlier about how like I used to work in politics. And so it's impossible for me to take off that hat. And I always oh. think in terms of like affiliation and like it, with marketing, I'm obsessed with storytelling. So I'm always thinking about like, okay, what are the stories that currently exist in the sport? Are those sufficient? Do we need to make better ones to attract more people to the sport? Stuff like that. Gotcha. 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 Okay. Yeah. Well, so I think I have two, um, maybe like hats I can't, that are hard for me to take off. Um, one of them is uh, for sure, like the sustainability piece, like my, both my parents like worked in the sustainability industry uh, or like conservation industry, like my whole childhood. And one of them still does. She hasn't retired yet. Um, so that has always been a part of my life. And like I mentioned, I worked at the aquarium, uh, which is a conservation organization in Monterey. And so um, that's something that's always just like been important to me and something mm. that uh, you know, living in California, there's a ton of like, uh, action going on, like at a policy level. And, um, yeah, just like the whole like plastic bag banning and like plastic straw banning. And you just like see it everywhere in California. Um, but I think like, yeah, I guess sustainability is just super important to me. And so it's cool to see, I guess, like more marketing happening or like, uh, yeah, specific language around, <laughs> Um, sustainable products and sustainable um, design practices happening um, in trail running. Like some of the things that Saucony is doing, like they don't talk about that they use recycled um, polyester and organic cotton. Um, and they have some apparel coming out in the future that uses like, for example, um, uh, discarded oyster shells from oyster uh, aquaculture farming. It's like super cool, right? Things like that. Adidas is huge in this, in that space as well. Um, I think Dylan Bowman was also mentioning one of his new sponsors is kind of coming out with something similar. Um, is it Speedland or Aura Ring or it's something? It's the other one. Uh, it's oh. like that uh, apparel brand. They have some like revolutionary manufacturing gotcha. process that's okay. decreasing carbon. Uh, yeah, anyway, like uh, that's one hat. And then the other one, I think like for me, that's maybe unique and very heavily influenced by my wife is, uh, the importance of like, um, emotions and, uh, like 
our own look kind of like not just the way we like tune into our own emotions, but the way we like talk to each other and treat each other and kind of show up um, is so important and it's everything. And I think like, you know, I grew up in like playing football um, for high, during high school and college, which is when I was playing like a very kind of like machismo kind of like, Dude, you played football. Yeah. Oh um, man. We got to talk about, I played football as well. That's awesome. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah. But, so, you know what I'm talking about? It's kind of like um, a very tough, like, um, I mean, never talking about feelings like, you know, everybody, you know, is hard as hard. And uh, yep. yeah. So I think um, one thing that I've really like leaned into and become very comfortable with is, is uh, feeling strong as an emotionally vulnerable um, man, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's something that I try to like bring, uh, in person certainly. And on these podcasts as well, but, um, in my social media posts too. Um, and so, yeah, like that's probably another part of who I am that, uh, is hard to kind of turn off. I dig that dude. We're, we're on the same wavelength there. One thing I wanted to bring up on the environmental front. So I'm having Mm -hmm. Jonathan Ray from Bandera on the podcast later today. And and we talked a bit before, and he has an environmental science background. He works for a nonprofit in in the space. And Uh he told me that, uh, he has never left the state of Colorado from a racing standpoint until now. Bandera was his first race because he has certain beliefs around leaving a carbon footprint. And like when he purchased his flight to Bandera, he bought a bunch of carbon offsets at the same oh, wow. time. And he's like, yeah, un- until I exhausted the Colorado racing scene, I wasn't going to leave. And I guess he has this one goal for Western States, but I just thought that was interesting. So anyways, oh, that's and, awesome. That well, <laughs> kudos to Jonathan. I mean, I was you know aware of, of him from the Colorado racing scene and uh, yeah, man, he really had a great day and uh, that's super cool. Very Killian esque of him to, uh, yeah, just be <laughs> sticking around in Colorado and uh, lowering his carbon footprint. But anyways, I want to echo two great perspectives on the sport there. And yeah, again, I'm always just curious to like unveil where people's backgrounds are from like a work standpoint, from a cultural standpoint, because I think when we unlock all that stuff, you can just see where creativity is waiting to be unleashed. Mm. Well, thanks for the question, Finn. Maybe we can dig also into your new relationship with Saucony, which I'm fascinated by on many fronts, but maybe the biggest one is I've always associated them with being on the roads and now they're making a pretty significant investment in trails. Like, uh, and I run fairly often here with Grayson Murphy in Salt Lake Mm. and she dabbles in both, but um, Katie Asmuth, obviously familiar in the scene, great runner yourself. Can you talk a bit about the investment they're making and and how your relationship came to be? So um, I guess I'll start with how I got connected with them. Um, It was really cool. You know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in the, in the idea that like, um, I guess like great endeavors in life are kind of like built on great relationships. Um, and you know, that it's really the foundation of like, um, of everything. And so the way they, they reached out to me organically last year, um, you know, wondering if I'd be interested in, um, helping them with this little, uh, kind of one-off event to like, launched the endorphin trail shoe, uh, which came out last year. And, um, and also talk about, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion in the trail running space. Um, and it was really cool. Cause like the, their VP of trail strategy, you know, had been like following me for a long time and like was aware of some of the other, um, things I had done and, you know, my whole racing history and stuff. So it's like really cool. Um, so that's kind of like how our relationship started was through this event. And I got to meet them in person and meet their whole team. And, you know, seriously, like the, the vibe that I got from them, like Sharon, uh, Barbano, anyone who knows her, uh, she's the VP of trail strategy at Saucony, man. She like her smile and the hug she gave me when she first saw me made me feel like she was like a surrogate mom or something. You know what I mean? Like we've all, yeah, we've all had, uh, you know, friends, moms that are like that, but like, (laughs) it was just such a good feeling. And, um, yeah, like that was really kind of the um, genesis of the relationship. And um, their uh, head of trail product, Katie Pyle, is just freaking amazing. Like, so um, th- I guess everyone that's working in the trail space in Saucony is truly a fan of the sport, like race results and uh, races and, and all of that. Um, and, you know, running in, on trails and racing themselves sometimes. But um, yeah, so I think just like it's a very... Um, kind of authentic relationship. And it's been obviously very um, humbling and um, a privilege to get to be on the same team 
uh, twice over as Grayson and Katie, you know, cause we're both coached by David Roach as well. So, yes. uh, yeah, just, um, that's kind of how it started. And then, um, yeah, I mean, it's funny cause Saucony has been making like many different, uh, models of trail shoes for a long time, but the, the main one that folks are familiar with is the Peregrine. Um, but there's actually been like many more in their lineup, uh, for many years now. But they really are like um, in 2022 and moving forward, like really making an investment in, um, and this is something I'm passionate about, like uh, bringing the weight down in their shoes while um, really focusing on um, creating a sh- creating different types of shoes that'll work for different runners um, on different terrain, but that are consistently going to have like awesome grip, be durable and have like really awesome foams and the ones I'm most excited about are their, uh, you know, larger, um, running shoe companies have these, uh, super foams, right? Like Adidas has them. Nike has them with their road lineup and, and, uh, Saucony has it as well with their, uh, power run PB foam. It's a P okay. foam. Okay. And so they're bringing that into their trail shoes. And so, um, folks that haven't like run in a super shoe, like a Nike next percent or, some other like road marathoning shoe might not know what I'm talking about, but like those foams are insanely light. They're extremely cushioned and the energy return you get from them is like very noticeable. And so um, I've been racing in uh, Saucony's shoes that have this foam and I'm really excited to see them bringing this foam into their trail running shoes in 2022 and beyond. And um, yeah, I think it's going to change the game. One question on the shoe front. I put it out on, on our Instagram stories that you were coming on the show and uh, invited folks to ask any questions. The photo I posted is you at Bandera. You're yep. in some pink colored shoes. They want to know what those are. Oh yeah. So those are, uh, those are sick, right? And so the colorway is cool too. It's called Prospect Pink. And uh, the, uh, it's, a, it's a prototype of the Endorphin Edge, which is coming out this year. It's uh, their first um, offering in the trail space that'll have a carbon fiber plate and that super foam. Um, right, and the carbon fiber plate's really cool because it's um, it's from a company called Carbitex. Uh, they make like the same plate that's in the Speedland shoes as well and yeah. some other companies' shoes. But basically, it flexes one way and doesn't flex the other way, uh, and so it gives you like a stable platform when you're running uphill. Um, it, it gives you better energy return. And it's also bifurcated uh, in the like split like, like a wishbone um, underneath your toes so that it can like flex based on, um, you know, rocks or things, uneven terrain that you're stepping on. And, you know, to be honest, it just feels really freaking good. And so, um, yeah, it definitely worked very well at Bandera and I've been using it in training a lot too. This is something I've wondered about Saucony for a bit now, at least as I've been aware of their entrance into the trail scene. Do you have any insight into how they plan to compete uh, not just with their shoe technology, but also culturally with like Hoka and Ultra and Adidas and Solomon brands that when we think of like brands in the sport, those ones immediately come to mind. Do you have any insight into like how they plan to get on that same level? Um, that's a great question. Uh, I guess like the short answer is like, no, because I, I uh, to be honest, like wasn't privy to some of those strategy meetings that popped off last year. Um, Katie Asmith was and um, said they had some really exciting and um, productive discussions. I'm actually getting like brought up to speed on those uh, in the coming weeks. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I know they, they do have plans um, and they have had many like trail strategy related meetings and um, yeah, they're definitely invested in, in uh, making moves into the space that go beyond just, um, you know, making great product. I was just curious because obviously they're making a relatively new entrance into trail, but it's cool yes. that they have, a department where every single uh, person on the team is like living and breathing our sport, not just like with like the products they make, but like culturally they're in tune. That's cool. And I would assume that that's not a standard across other uh, brands. So that seems cool to me too. Yeah. You know, it's certainly smaller than their road counterpart, but um, yeah, they have like dedicated trail folks there and it's very um, super exciting. And even um, up to the top level, like their brand president, um, who is female, her name's Anne. She like knows about what's going on for us as trail athletes. And so that's like very exciting. You know, I'm sure the same couldn't be said for like, you know, the, the top of the spirit Nike or some of these other companies. 
one of the biggest things I'm taking from this conversation that I'm impressed by is your patience, your long-term thinking and your self-belief. It's just so readily apparent when I think about your analysis of Bandera and what you want to do the rest of the year and, and moving forward. What are your goals in the sport long-term? Um, well, thank you. That's a very high compliment coming from you, Finn. Um, yeah, you know, um, my goals in the sport, uh, are lofty and pretty ambitious. Um, but I really believe, um, not just in myself, but like that I have put myself in, not just geographically in the right place, but like surrounded myself with the right types of people and have made the right types of life choices that, you know, give me a chance at realistically maybe accomplishing some of these goals. And so, um, yeah, like my goals, which is very, maybe it's going to be like funny to hear, but, uh, they're really the same as they were like years ago when I, uh, reached out to David Roach for the first time. And, um, they're still the same today and they're to, you know, really compete at the top level, um, at races like UTMB in Western States, you know, um, I, it's, it's funny. Like I, I tr actually tried to do this research recently and I kind of failed. Um, I need to like spend more time to really make sure this is a true statement, but you know, in my recent memory, for example, I can't think of a black athlete who's hit the podium at Western on the male side. And so like, that's something I'd really like to try and achieve. Um, and I don't know when that's going to happen, but that's certainly like something that does, um, motivate me, uh, to a certain extent. Um, and then, yeah, like I'd love to be competitive at UTMB and, uh, other, you know, significant big races in the future. And, um, I think what drives all of that is just not only, um, loving to compete and loving, um, to try to get the most out of myself as an athlete, but, to want to be um, represent a representative example for other athletes uh, that come from diverse backgrounds and, and don't see that reflected in the top end of the sport. Um, and so like, yeah, like I, you know, for lack of a better word, like want to be that guy. I absolutely love those goals. And we didn't dig into it a ton on this episode, but if you go back and listen to other interviews you've done, you've really mapped out just how process oriented you are and how much you're invested in the long term. And I would definitely encourage listeners to go back to those episodes because what you're saying now makes total sense in, in that context. And I believe in it. And as a fan of the sport, man, I'm excited to see it uh, come all uh, together. Thanks, Finn. I really appreciate that, man. Yeah, they're lofty goals, but you know, with a long term approach, I'm hopeful that uh, we can tick some of them off at least. What are we doing in the sport if we're not swinging big? Exactly, man. Exactly. Whether it's in business, whether it's in culture, coaching, performance, I think more people should think that way. Totally. Yeah. You know, and like, you know, they say that, what is it like aim for the moon or you end up in the stars or something yeah, like, yeah, 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 you know, it's like, Hey, I'd rather, you know, like I, I firmly believe I can accomplish some of these goals, but, um, I'll certainly never regret trying, you know, regardless of how it ends up. Exactly. Let's go to the lightning round. This has been an awesome conversation, man. Love it. This has been great. So the first question, what is a recent book, movie, podcast, piece of content you've consumed that has left a big impression on you? It's changed the way you think and you want to share it with the audience? Um, well, a really good um, like short film that I, I've seen recently that just comes to mind for some reason is a uh, long shorts. I think Solomon put that one out. It's just, uh, it's on Courtney DeWalter and, uh, Francois Dane. And I got to just admit, like, I'm so struck by their, um, who they are as people. And Courtney is just like a, a constant source of inspiration. Like her relaxed approach to the sport is something I really try and, um, remind myself of when I'm get really process oriented is just to like, Hey man, relax, like have a glass of wine. I mean, I'm more of a wine guy than a beer guy, but like, yeah, you know, just like have a glass of wine with your wife and like chill out, you know, it's all good. So yeah, that was a really great documentary. I think it was really well done and um, showcased the sport in a beautiful way. And if you could put a message on a billboard for all to see, what would it say and why? I listen to your podcast all the time. I should have seen this one coming. Uh, <laughs> geez, I think what it would be is um, it's beautiful to be vulnerable. Um. Yeah, I think that's what it'd be. And it's just because I find that like in literally all of my relationships, whether it's with, you know, my wife or with um, 
folks like you, Finn, or um, here on this podcast, or my close guy friends, you know, like vulnerability really leads to like deeper connection and greater understanding. And so I think um, if we could remind people of that, um, we'd all be in like a better place and I think understand each other a lot better. A freaking man, dude. That is the perfect place to put a pin in it. As I mentioned earlier, dude, it's been such a blessing to meet you, to have you on the podcast. I can't wait to follow along the rest of this year. For folks that also want to share in your journey or they want to reach out and maybe get in touch regarding coaching, stuff like that, where can they find you? Yeah. So uh, thanks for the opportunity. This has been awesome. Um, my coaching website is runmary.com, uh, my last name, M-E-R-R-Y. And uh, then, uh, yeah, I'm most active on um, Instagram, uh, A Mary Runner, and uh, on Strava as well. I, I post everything up there. I know for a fact we'll have you on the pod again at some point, but until then, man, uh, good luck the rest of the season. Awesome. Thanks so much, Finn. Really appreciate it.